Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So our theme for these Advent midweeks, symbols of salvation, point us to the foretelling of Christ's birth in the Old Testament. Last week we talked about uh, the burning bush and about how God came and dwelt in the flesh of man, not consuming him in his wrath, just like he did with the bush. And uh, if you want to know more, you can go back and watch the sermon on that. I won't recap too much on that, but we have um, the, the blessing of YouTube and uh, our podcast and things like that to go and hear really what that sermon was about and everything. Uh, this week, though, you may be wondering to yourself, how is it that the tabernacle has anything to do with foretelling Christ? Well, it's kind of interesting, and you kind of need to know Greek on some level, or you need to have a pastor who knows Greek, because it kind of helps out a little bit, that when you read the Exodus account and you hear the word tabernacle, you're like, yeah, there's the tabernacle. But then when you look in John 1 from our text... And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word there is skene. It means tabernacle. That the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. Tented with us. Dwelt with us. Right? And when you know that, you can make that easy connection between those two. That you can see between these things that the Son of God was the one who was dwelling with his people back in the back in the Old Testament in the tent of meeting that we know that from from Exodus that Moses takes the testimony that is the 10 commandments the law the torah the way by which we ought to live the way that God calls us to live And he puts that in in the Ark of of the Covenant. And he doesn't just leave it open for everyone to just walk by and see it, right? He covers it with something. He covers it with the mercy seat. Now right there also, that foreshadows what Christ came to do. He is the embodiment of God's word. Right? He is the Ark of the Covenant. He is the one in which the deity dwells bodily. He is the one in which God lives. And within Christ, he is the one who fulfills the law perfectly for us and covers us with his mercy. That in him, where he dwells, there is the fullness of God's grace, right? So when you make these connections, you can really easily see, wow, Jesus was there the whole time. They may not have known him as Jesus. And some, some academics will maybe harp on me a little bit by saying, yeah, Jesus was there. They'll say, well, that's the pre-incarnate Christ you're talking about. He wasn't just quite Jesus yet. And to that, I just say, well, that's semantics. I mean, what's the difference, right? He's been made known to us as 
Jesus Christ, our Savior. He wants us to know him as he has shown himself to be. That the Son of God once dwelt among his people in a tent made of animal skins. If you go back and see how it is that Moses made the tabernacle. It's not like you could just go down the Ace Hardware or Home Depot and get siding or whatever. You can't go to a builder's supply and get siding for these things when you're in the wilderness. They had to use something, and God told them, use animal skins. Now why? What's the point of the animal skins? Well, the animal skins are there, and actually you see this throughout Scripture with sacrifice, even from the beginning in Genesis 3. That with Adam and Eve, they tried to hide their shame with what? With fig leaves, right? They took them and they sewed them together and they made clothes for themselves. But you know what God did? He said, that's not good enough. That's not good enough that you cover yourself. You cover your own shame. You think you can do that by yourself? Here's what I'm going to do for you. If you go back and you look at at, uh, Genesis 3, it says, he made for them clothing from skins, from animals. That even in Genesis 3, the shedding of blood was necessary to cover sin. Pretty amazing, right? So that with here, covering the tabernacle with animal skins foreshadowed the sacrifices that would not only have to be made every year on the Day of Atonement, Passover, daily, in the temple, right? But to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ shedding his own blood for our sins to cover us with his blood and his grace and his favor. Kind of amazing, right? The imagery you can draw from the Old Testament and see how much of this actually points to what Christ has done really helps us out. That all the way back to this point in time, the Son of God, the Word, right, dwelt with his people in a tent made of animal skins and has also made his eternal dwelling place now with us in our human skin in order to bring us back to life with God. That in the Old Testament, you had a temple. Or you had a tabernacle, really. The, ta- the temple didn't come until much later, right? The tabernacle was to be a tent that would pick up and move, pick up and move, and go from different places, from one place to the next, wherever the glory cloud would pick up and go to, right? That, that in and of itself was to show the people that their life in this world was not to be permanent, right? That they should always be ready. They should always be on their toes to pick up and go where God would lead them, Right? So that in the Old Testament, there's a foreshadowing here with the tabernacle that all the while that the people of God are dwelling in the wilderness for 40 years, you know, just kind of going around and around in circles and different places and different paths and staying in certain places for certain amounts of times and staying in other places for other amounts of times, you know, fighting and doing all these things that God is with them the whole time. He's with them. He dwells with them in this special place so that they would know that when they see that glory cloud, they know that God is there, right? 
that, it, that this was to be the central part of their camp, that all the tribes would be around it, right? That they would all point to that temple, that tabernacle, that tent where the Lord was dwelling. And yet it's interesting because in the Old Testament, there's a lot of foreshadowing going on where the glory cloud is leading the people. Not to be, not in an aimless way, right? They have an ultimate goal. And we don't have time to go into why they wandered for 40 years other than just rebellion on the sake on the people's part, and then God said, well, we're going to wander around until this generation dies and your children go into the promised land, right? But they had the end goal, to get to the promised land. And in the same way, Christ was born for you so that you wouldn't wander aimlessly, but so that he would lead you out of the wilderness, out of your sin away and far away from the place where you were held as a slave in the land of Egypt, out of that place into his promised land, full of his grace, full of his light, full of his joy and peace, right? That in Jesus Christ, the word has tabernacled with us, that he has taken on the skin, not of animals, but of human flesh, right? He has been covered with our flesh and set up his tent um, within our midst to be with us and to lead us out of death to life, that what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament was not fully fulfilled until Christ. That in Christ, we have someone who is better than Moses. For Moses, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, right? That we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have beheld him, maybe not, with our, maybe not with our fleshly eyes, but with our eyes of faith, that we can behold him because of his word that is spoken to us, that is preached to us, that guides us, that is our light in the darkness, right? That as long as we have his word, as long as we have his promise, he guides us. He leads us through this wilderness to his promised land at the end. And as God's presence in the tabernacle was made visible as a cloud, this may seem very simplistic, but what is a cloud made up of? Water, right? So it's not hard to make that jump that whenever you see water in the Old Testament, some people might quibble with this, but I think that it, you'd be hard-pressed to find that if you find a, a reference of water in some form or fashion in the Old Testament, it's probably talking about baptism, 
right? That God is present in this cloud made up of water, so his presence in our lives is made visible in the waters of holy baptism. And what's interesting about that is that if you are a baptized child of God, and you think about that glory cloud and what it meant to step within it, right? And who could only go within that glory cloud? It was usually the high priest on the most holy day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And it was only to make sacrifice for the sins of, for the, sins of the people. And it was very interesting that I, I, in the book Grace Upon Grace uh, by John Kleinig, he uses the illustration of the glory cloud that on the outside of it, you may be in the daytime, right? Because it was a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? But if you're outside and it's the daytime and you see the pillar of cloud and you walk into it, just think about this. The deeper you go, what happens? The darker it gets. That to be in the presence of God is to be in darkness. But not because of the reasons you might be thinking of. To get closer to God means to get closer to darkness. Because the deeper you get into the glory cloud, the deeper you get into his presence, the deeper you are to his ultimate purpose for you. His death his crucifixion, his cross, his bearing of sin for you. So that whenever you suffer, whenever you struggle with sin, with your flesh, with this world, count that as getting closer and closer to the center of that glory cloud, closer and closer to understanding what it was that Christ went through closer and closer to understanding the pain and suffering that he endured for you. So that you would understand that in your baptism, Christ now dwells with you and through you. He lives. He tabernacles with you. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. That in you, the Almighty God dwells spiritually. That as a baptized child of God, you have that promise. You have that grace that no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus Christ, who lives within you. He has made him known through his grace, through his mercy. So as we celebrate uh, this time of Advent, as we prepare for celebrating the birth of Christ, let us contemplate more and more what the incarnation truly means. That the Lord God Almighty took on flesh so that he could understand the pain and suffering that you go through. So that he could take that pain and suffering on you. So that he could take that pain and suffering on himself, excuse me, for your sake. So that as we celebrate 
Christmas and the birth of Christ, we focus on the we, we focus on the manger as the first step toward his cross. And one last point to illustrate um, that <laughs> how Christ dwells with us now and with us at this time and place that nowadays, I guess if there's some sort of application that can be put to this, right? A lot of people are disconnected. A lot of people have a lot of connections that are really just virtual, right? People are virtually connected through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Zoom, YouTube, whatever, right? That what's really lacking in our world today is a real bodily presence, is a real presence for us here and now. But as Christians, that's what we have with Christ. He did not come to establish a virtual connection um, with us, but instead a very tangible and physical one. He shares fully in our real humanity. He touches us in the sacrament of of baptism and makes a flesh and blood connection with us in his supper. So contemplate these things as we go through this time of preparation. Contemplate these things, meditate on these things which are above and not on those things that are below. And may God bless you as you do so. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.